It's a big world, and survival depends on the quality of your decisions. You need a diverse viewpoint to see all the opportunities around you. Now is the time, and this is the place. This is the Ellis Martin Report. When you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business, there's a large probability, if not a certainty, that the Ellis Martin Report is compensated for that mention. We're telling you this so you can make your own independent evaluation of these opportunities. Also, as with most leading-edge opportunities, if you can't afford to potentially lose your investment, don't risk it. We make no personal recommendations about any sponsor on this program. We encourage you to do your own research. Yes, we do as much due diligence as possible, but nothing is completely predictable in this big world. Here's an idea. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit us at ellismartinreport.com. And now, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Michael Townsend, Executive Chairman, and Zane Callion, CEO of Infinity Stone Ventures, trading on the CSE as GEMS, that's G-E-M-S, and in the U.S. on the OTC as T-L-O-O-F. Infinity Stone's mission is to be a one-stop shop, single source of supplier for the critical energy metals being used in the clean energy revolution. Infinity Stone is meeting the demand from battery and wind turbine manufacturers, nuclear and hydrogen energy producers and energy metal speculators by acquiring majority interest in critical minerals projects in stable mining friendly jurisdictions close to final use destinations in North American manufacturing hubs. With six projects in mining friendly jurisdictions such as Quebec and Ontario, Infinity Stone's portfolio includes lithium, graphite, copper, gold, platinum and palladium. Gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Great to have you with us today. Well, thanks for having us, Ellis. Happy to be back. I got to tell you, I'm a happy shareholder right now. I got in at about 16 cents. We're more than a double in this crazy market, this resource market we've been in for, I don't know, a year now. This is good news as far as I'm concerned, but still, in my opinion, great potential upside with all that you have going in Eastern Canada. Yeah, and we have a lot more in the hopper as well. We got news, I think, almost every day this week. We decided to take today off. Zane currently in London, entertaining a number of our German investors over there. Everyone's pretty excited about what we got going on. We got a little bit lucky with this project that we acquired, the second project that we acquired tied, tied on to Patriot Battery Metals. Their stock has just literally been on fire, and I was an early investor and part of that initial team that put that deal together. Well, certainly Blair Way knows what he's doing with that company and kudos to you for getting involved with them. Let's talk more about it. We acquired an additional about 17 or 1800 acres there. Subsequent to that, we've got a team of geologists on the ground right now. They will be collecting samples from the two different projects, the Camaro and the Taiga project. And then we're going to be adding on to those projects, both doubling the size of the Taiga project and a third project just to the south. We were staking geology there. I believe we have 11 pegmatites on the new property. We're calling that the Hellcat project. So we got lots of land up there, probably the second, well, easily the second largest landowner. We have 22 pegmatites now that brings our total. And that's just identified as well. I think the most exciting thing for us is now that we can actually get up there and get on the property, we can identify a lot of pegmatites that the Quebec Geological Survey may have not identified in the past. So we're just trying to identify all the targets that we have and start getting some samples and, and work the property and keep moving the project forward. How many projects together do you have and how do you manage all that? Right now we have about seven projects, four of them really being core. At the end of the day, I think really 
with the recent kind of move in lithium and specifically PMAT and the opportunity to really capitalize on that, we do have quite a lot of focus on this James Bay lithium district or Corvette lithium district. And we will continue to focus on the project. But at the same time, I think the Galaxy project is equally as exciting. We have identified spodumene at that property and we are actively working to get a 150 kilogram sample for, for metallurgical work. And then the Rockstone graphite is also exciting. I think graphite starting to see a little bit of a move and Tesla was actually at one of the graphite producers, Nouveau Monde, last week. And I think that's given a little wind in the sails of, of the price of graphite and the interesting graphite, no less. And I think we're happy to capitalize on that. We should be drilling on the Rockstone later in the next couple of weeks. I expect we'll be getting our permits this week and we should be active on the property in the next two weeks. But just to kind of go back to your, your core question, I think really that's our model. We want to bread the wealth. We want to work on all the properties, see where we can drive the most value and then focus on what makes the most sense once we have the initial results back. The market is pretty fickle. Inevitably, Murphy's Law would be if we focused 100% on lithium, that the market would get hot on graphite or manganese. Or if we focus on manganese, then market would be hot for cobalt or nickel. So having all of them at a stage where we're ready, we can just jump on whatever the market wants is something that is exciting to us because inevitably the market does what it does and and it's hard to predict that. So it's just better to have everything ready at your arsenal, at your fingertips. Some companies would separate resources like nickel from graphite or even lithium, but that's not your strategy. And it seems to be working contrary to what I think, but kudos to you. I always thought, well, if you have a great nickel story, or if you have a great cobalt story, or if you have a great graphite story lumped in with manganese, why not put that into two different companies or three different companies or project generator? But you're the exact reverse of that strategy, and it works. Well, I think that our plan is to advance these projects to a point where they can be their own projects, and then we can spin them out, and then we create a new company, and then we dividend out the shares in that new company to our existing shareholder. And that's really the plan. I liken it to sort of like teenagers, right? We've got a bunch of teenagers in the house right now, and we're just feeding them as much as we can, and we're going to see which one launches first. And inevitably, there will be one that fails to launch. We already have interest in our copper, cobalt, nickel project from a fairly significant finance here in Toronto that was actually heavily behind PMET. That's pretty interesting. So we're pretty excited about that. We will piece off these properties when the time is right, when they've developed. I think I saw some of those copper photos on your website and they look really compelling. Yeah, we actually have some new photos that we should post on the website. Just recently, we've started actually blasting and trenching and we've got some unbelievable chalcopyrite and some boronite and some just some spectacular copper specimens. And once again, that website is infinitystone.ventures for those of you that want to take a look at what we're talking about right here and all the projects that this company has online. Gentlemen, so what can we look forward to as far as potential news coming out during the next few months? Well, I would say the next few days is two, three a week is how we do it. I mean, we can't write them fast enough, but... I think I'll let the CEO, well, I'll let him tell you what he's got planned for the rest of this week and the month as a whole itinerary. So I'd say really short term, what we're focused on is obviously getting more exploration work done on the property in James Bay. That's kind of short term. There should be a lot more catalysts related to that particular property. At the same time, the Galaxy, as I've said, we are going to be sending this 150 kilogram sample. We should be able to formally announce that soon once we have kind of all the details ironed out and what that looks like. I'd say beyond that, the Rockstone drilling, I think we should be getting permits any day. And and obviously that'll be another catalyst to kind of show that that project is moving forward. We also have Rockstone. We have core from the initial drilling, the 25 meters of 24.7% graphite. We have that core in the 
laboratory right now, I guess is at ALS labs and they're doing their third pass of metallurgical work on that. It comes out as 24% or 25% graphite. They concentrate it. And I think the first pass they got it to the 60s and the second pass they got it, was it 96%? 96.1. This third pass, they're just testing different chemicals and different crush sizes of the product. They crush it to a certain size. They add a little bit of this and a little bit of that chemical. They think that they can get it to 99 point whatever it needs to be battery grade graphite. So probably 60 days out, but that process is underway as well. So there's just a ton of assay results pending, all kinds of things. So pretty fired up. I'm fired up too. And again, I'm a very happy investor with more than a double since I got involved. And really, you're still at about 37 and a half cents Canadian. That's 32 cents US. Tell us about the share structure. This is not a company that has a ton of shares in the float. There's a few shares outstanding, 65 million shares outstanding. Gives it about a $20 million US market cap. Our neighbor, Patriot Battery Metals, who, by the way, one year ago today was trading in the exact well, was trading left. I participated in an 18 cent private placement a year ago. And that company, taking that thing from 18 cents to a high of $7 and 15 cents or 725 last week, 60 today. So the market cap on that company is closer to 550 million, maybe 600 million Canadian dollars. And we're at 25 million. So you can see that there is tons of ability to take it to a new level or two or three new levels. I'll also add that the, the word on the street is Patriot Metal. It's going to be a hundred million plus ton deposit and it should trade north of a billion dollar market cap. There's one lithium company in Australia right now, which is really where all the action is in the battery metals right now. And it's called Pilbara. It's a big, probably a four-year-old story now. It just went through $11 billion market cap yesterday. That's Aussie dollars, probably 7.5 to 8 billion US dollars market cap. There's huge demand for this stuff. A lot of great buzz about Patriot Metals. And guys, I really, again, appreciate the time that you spent with me today. Thank you so much, Zane Collion and Michael Townsend, for joining me today in the program. Thank you, Alex. Perfect. Thank you. I've been speaking with Michael Townsend, Executive Chairman, and Zane Callion, CEO of Infinity Stone Ventures, trading on the CSE as G-E-M-S and in the U.S. on the OTC as T-L-O-O-F. Go to the company's website now and download their investor presentation, infinitystone.ventures. That's infinitystone.ventures. I'm Ellis Martin. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com. This is the Ellis Martin Report. Join Ellis now for a conversation with Ali Haji, the CEO of Ion Energy, trading in the U.S. on the OTC as IONGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as ION. Ion Energy is committed to exploring and developing Mongolia's lithium salars, which includes the Babaul and Ergenaron project. ION's flagship 81,000 hectare Babaul lithium brine project represents the largest and first lithium brine exploration license awarded in Mongolia. Ion Energy is well poised to be a key player in the clean energy revolution, positioned well to service the world's increased demand for lithium. Ali, welcome back to the program. It's great to have you on the air today. It's lovely to be back, Ellis. Always a pleasure. You have some recently released amazing news for Ion Energy. Let's enlighten our audience. What is it? Our audience recalls July 11th, we had ATM lines done across Ugaknaran. And those were quite significant because they showed us low resistivity across essentially a basin that is the size of about 17,000 hectares. We were able to do one more line that intersected the eight lines done previously. And what we found is a activity zone that mirrors what we expected to see. And on the back of that, the indication and the 
the hypothesis of this basin being quite significant with low resistivity has now been proven. So it's extremely exciting for us as a company to be able to say that we found this basin that lies within a fault line and has a significant amount of low resistivity, which is indicative of a significant lithium brine asset. That's certainly fantastic. And I have to ask you, what does that mean for potential mine life of the company and the supply needs for the country surrounding you as well as the rest of the world? In terms of mine life, based on the volume that we're seeing, I think it's quite significant. We're in the midst of doing the calculations that give us a sense of exactly how big that resource is. But if you look at the neighboring markets, I think that's a valid question. The neighboring markets are currently importing a lot of their uh, lithium from overseas and us being on the doorstep of the largest consumer on the planet with a significant basin find with very high grades on surface up to 918 milligrams per liter reported earlier. Uh, we think uh, there's a significant potential for Ion Energy to disrupt that market and be a significant supplier to the Asian market collectively. Let's talk about that market in Asia. I assume you're talking about China, the ASEAN countries, which include South Korea, Japan, Malaysia, Indonesia. That's quite a large market. It is indeed. China today consumes the vast majority of the world's lithium. You have operational plants in Indonesia that were built by CATL for battery manufacturing. Korea through Samsung continues to be a major producer of batteries for the global market, including Tesla, which is very familiar to our US market, as well as Japan. So Panasonic as well produces a number of batteries that end up in Teslas around the world. So being in that market is one that allows us from an advantageous perspective, allows us to service these major producers of these batteries and these batteries that end up in vehicles. In terms of the overall sort of conflict, if you want to call it that, or, or friction that exists in the region, you know, Russia today is in conflict with the Ukraine. China and Taiwan are currently having their spats as a result of Nancy Pelosi very recently visiting that nation. We see that as sort of a show of strength. And I think it's important that we do so in a time of volatility globally. I think it's important that we sort of slow down on the annexation of various jurisdictions. But all that said, I think in terms of production, production profile and consumer behavior in that region, there is significant amount of demand to ensure that this resource in particular, as far as lithium is concerned, will continue to be traded, utilized, and ultimately brought to its ultimate goal, which is the electrification of vehicles. Let's be really clear about this. Mongolia is stable country, stable government, and virtually everyone's friend. Exactly right. So Mongolia has always employed what they call a third neighbor policy. That allows Mongolia to build relationships with countries outside of their common borders, which are Russia and China. Canada, for instance, has a Foreign Investment Protection Act that they signed in 2016 with the Mongolian government to ensure their investments are protected. We also see very strong relationships with the Korean government as well as the Japanese government. And they've spent a significant amount of time as well as investment into the country, not only to build very infrastructure required for the country to excel, but also have assisted with the building of the airport in country, Ulaanbaatar. So the major international airport was built by the Koreans. And now you have a country that is supported outside of those two countries that they share common borders with. From an investment perspective, and also being a journalist, I'm curious, I have to ask you your opinion. We have several lithium sponsors of this radio program. Some of them are Canadian, some of them are held here in the US. I would have to say in a really tough market, Ion Energy has been performing very, very well. Any speculation as to why that is? Is it basically jurisdiction-based and the size of your project? What's your speculation on that, considering it will probably be biased? 
biased to some degree, but I would look at a valuation table or a comp table. And what you would find is that ION sits at the bottom of it, despite us having spent a fair bit of capital on our exploration programs. We've drilled over 300 holes. We've done geophysics across a massive basin. We found grades of up to 918 milligrams per liter. And if you were to look at our comps in, and I have my hands up here, with respect to quotes, friendlier jurisdictions, you would find that we're trading at a massive discount. There are companies that have been barely sort of scratched the surface or drilled significantly trading at 25x our valuation. And so I still continue to say to our listeners and the market that we're massively undervalued. We performed quite well as a result of the team that we've assembled. The team consists of industry experts such as Don Haynes, Dr. Mark King, Paul Fornatsari, Dr. David Deke, and a number of others in the lithium space that have really worked at the likes of rudimentary mines all the way up to the Teslas of the world. So we've built a team that, that purely understands where we are in terms of our exploration cycle, where we are in terms of our potential. But more importantly, we continue to be undervalued. And I think it's important for people to note that fact that ION Energy continues to be fairly well funded, has the advantage of operating in a jurisdiction in which we've had experience in. And we are on the doorstep, as we've mentioned a number of times, of that largest consumer. There's a lot of news flow that is on uh, ongoing and incoming, and uh, our listeners and viewers can see that in due course. But I think that valuation gap will start to close quite quickly. And remind us of the share structure of the company. Of course. company today has about 60 million shares outstanding. We have 25% in the hands of management and insider. We are escrowed by design because we continue to operate or even execute and, and participate in every raise, any level. We continue to be buyers on market. Our goal is to ensure that our shareholders are alongside us for that exit. So 25% being escrowed, of course, is a significant number in the hands of uh, insiders. But beyond that, we have institutional funds, the likes of Delbrook Capital, U.S. Global, Broma, um, Spartan Funds, Maxit Capital, and to name a few that are institutional holders that have yet to put shares on market despite us trading at levels lower than the IPO price today. So a very strong group of institutional supporters, Mongolian investors as well, that have executed or exercised their capital own about 9% of the company as well. So very well-held company, a company that continues to sort of execute on their promises. In terms of float, that's about 39%. So there's a fair bit out there for individuals individuals to sort of enjoy trading. It looks like almost the perfect, and I'm saying almost, the perfect share structure for a potential investor to risk in this market right now and to position yourself for the blue sky upside that we hope is there someday. Indeed. I just want to touch on TEM results being quite promising. Beyond that, we're planning deep wells or monitoring wells that will go down to between 200 to 300 meters, which will allow us to come to an early resource indication by October of this year. I will also be on site in Mongolia again for the second time this year with my technical team, as well as some investors and analysts that would potentially bring in institutional coverage. That'll be at the tail end of September. So we're very excited as a company. We have the fortunate position of not looking for capital at this time, and we will continue to execute on our promises. So we're very happy to be in this position given the market. And I think given the inflationary fears now abating around the world, we'll continue to see some more acquisitions on the EV front, and we continue to press on. So we're in a good position. 
Ali Haji, CEO and President of Ion Energy. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Ellis. Ellis has been speaking with Ali Haji, CEO of Ion Energy, trading in the U.S. on the OTC as IONGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as ION. Learn more. Head to the company's website, ionenergy.ca. That's ionenergy.ca. This is the Ellis Martin Report. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Blaine Monahan, the president and CEO of Pacific Ridge Exploration, trading as PEXZF in the U.S. on the OTC and on the TSX Venture Exchange as PEX. The company's goal is to become British Columbia's leading copper gold exploration company. Pacific Ridge's flagship project is the Clayhill Copper Gold Project, located in the Quainel Trough, approximately 50 kilometers southeast of Centera Gold's KMS Mine. In addition to Clayhill, the company the company's project portfolio includes the RDP Copper Gold Project, option to Antofagasta Minerals, the Anjo Copper Gold Project, and the Redton Copper Gold Project, all located in British Columbia. Pacific Ridge will continue to search for projects that offer discovery opportunity in their regions of expertise. Blaine, welcome back to the program. It's always great to visit with you. Thanks, Alice. Great to be here. Some fantastic news. You have not been slacking this entire summer. Tell us what's going on with Pacific Ridge Exploration, sir. No rest for the wicked, Alice. As a matter of fact, I was camping without reception, and I had to drive myself each afternoon to go find reception to get news releases ready for our shareholders. That's the job as the CEO. We never off. We're always working. I'm always trying to maximize shareholder value. And yeah, some really exciting news. I mean, just over the last few days, we announced that we completed drilling at RDP, which is a project we optioned out to Antifagasta. They can earn a 75% interest by spending $10 million over eight years. It looks like it's going to return some good numbers. We reported in that news released that one of the drill holes intercepted a thick zone of boronite and calcopyrite, which are copper sulfide. So I'm looking forward to see the results from that hole. And then we just announced a small financing with two of our largest shareholders, Delphi and Crescat, to fund additional drilling at Clyul. So yeah, a very, very busy week. We don't take any time off. We're always working. So that three quarter of a million dollars just over is really essentially flow through money so you can do more work in the ground. Yeah, so it was actually hard dollars, but we will be using those funds for additional drilling. And we had originally budgeted 6,000 meters of drilling at Clayul this year, but we're ahead of schedule. And because we have a relatively short exploration window, if you can drill more meters, drill more meters. So we went to them asking if they might like to help fund some additional drilling while we could, and they both put up their hands. So very pleased to continue to have great support from our major shareholders, and that means another 800 meters of drilling will be able to complete, and every meter is important. That could find additional mineralization or help us understand the deposit better. So very pleased. Certainly a copper-rich zone in that part of BC, I guess, north and south. Absolutely. Clyul is located in the Quinnell Trough, the, the home to a number of significant deposits and porphyry mines in BC. And RDP, although it's located just a little bit to the west of Clayul, is in the Stikin terrain, which is also close to a number of other significant deposits, porphyry mines in BC. So uh, both projects are located in prolific districts. We're just really looking forward to continuing to drill and returning what we hope will be excellent drill results to enable us to continue to get out there and make a significant discovery. And Fagasta and Crescott and Delphi, they're pretty much long-term players, even though you're not a mine now, you will be at some point in the future. And really, the mandate to develop 500, 1,000 new mines across the planet never ends. 
No, it doesn't. And we're seeing that play out in many different ways right now when we're looking at the electrification of society in particular. I mean, there really is a massive shortfall in copper. And you're seeing a lot of copper mines report lower production. There's a long timeline to get mines into production. So there is a real demand for projects like these. And that's why we've been able to secure funding from our largest shareholders. That's how we've been able to attract one of the world's largest copper miners to enter into this joint venture agreement for RDP. Everybody is looking for these sort of projects. We have them. Now it's really just a matter of can we find enough mineralization to outline a significant enough deposit that someday could become a mine. That's the goal for us here is to make a big enough discovery that ultimately could be sold to a senior producer like Antifagasta for them to put into production to meet the future demands. You've been busy with so many things this past summer. It's almost hard to keep up, but not quite. So what have we got coming up in the vault? Yeah, we're still drilling. I mean, we just completed the drill program at RDP last week. We'll be looking forward to results from that program sometime in the fall and winter. We're still drilling at Clayol. We've just announced, obviously, that financing to drill some additional meters. So we'll be drilling at Clayol to the end of September. I'm hopeful we'll see initial drill results sometime in October. And again, like RDP, further drill results in the fall and winter. And of course, don't forget, I mean, we also did a little bit of work on our other exploration projects this year also, like Chuchi and Anho, where we flew a ZTEM survey looking for deeper targets. So we should have news to report on those projects sometime this fall or winter also. So really what we're hoping for is the results will set the table for us to launch an even bigger drill program next year at both RDP and Clayul. Very much like last year, we only completed a 1500 meter drill program at Clayul, but the results were significant enough that we were able to go back to the market and raise enough capital to launch a program that was four times the size. So ultimately, that's my hopes for this year is that we'll continue to put out good enough results that will warrant an even bigger drill program of both projects. You know, it's really crazy with the demand for copper that is on the horizon that exists today. You would think that the equities would reflect that, but they're not at the moment. And I think this is the perfect time for the really smart and savvy investor to do what many people wait to do once the market is at a high, which is buy at a high, which is ridiculous, to jump in and take advantage of the potential opportunity right now that exists with Pacific Ridge exploration. I think the timing could be ideal for interested parties right now. I mean, we just saw our largest shareholders continue to increase their holdings. We are on the cusp of material news with respect to results. And whenever you're looking at an exploration company, really what drives share performance are results. And if we can continue to report good results, that could have a very positive impact on our share price. And those results are literally just weeks and months away. And you're trading at about 27 cents Canadian, 23 cents U.S. right now. Briefly review the share structure for those that are just sitting on the edge of their seats right now, hoping to jump in. <laughs> so we have about 80 million shares issued. I mentioned the largest shareholders that just upped their holdings are Crestcat, a U.S.-based firm out of Denver, and Delphi, a German fund. So combined, those two firms own about 35% of the company. Management owns about 6 or 7%. We're well-funded. The exploration work we're doing right now is fully funded. Again, we're just looking forward now to putting out these results. I'm hopeful that we can continue to see our share price performance like we have in, in previous years where when I started as CEO, it was a $0.05 cent stock in a $1.5 million market cap and traded as high as $0.58 cents in a market cap of $35 million. So I'm very hopeful that we'll get back there. And with positive results, I think we will. Blaine Monahan, it's always great to chat with you. I look forward to speaking with you again in the very near future. Have a great rest of the day.
Thanks, Ellis. You too. I've been speaking with Blaine Monahan, the president and CEO of Pacific Ridge Exploration, trading as PEXZF in the U.S. on the OTC and on the TSX Venture Exchange as PEX. Go to the company's website, PacificRidgeExploration.com. This is the Ellis Martin Report. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com. This is the Ellis Martin Report. Join Ellis now for a conversation with Anil Varach, the Executive Vice President and Director of Step Gold, trading in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STPGF and on the Toronto Exchange as STGO. Step Gold is Mongolia's premier precious metals company and is projected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold from the current operational oxide zone of the ATO gold mine this year in 2022 and in 2023. The company also completed a feasibility study into expansion of the ATO gold mine to approximately 100,000 ounces of gold per annum from the development of underlying fresh rock ores. Anil, welcome back to the program. Great to speak with you today. Thanks, Alice. Great to be here. You've got a producing gold mine in Mongolia. And right now, I would say that your stock is potentially at a super discount compared to where it could be for a producing gold mine really anywhere on the planet. That's right. If you go back two years ago, when we first started producing, our stock was about 90 cents, went up to $3 over a three-month period as becoming a new producer. Two years later, we were trading at just over a dollar. But certainly, we're cheap as a cash-flowing company that's added to meaningful mine life as well. I understand that Eric Sprotch is came in and picked up some more shares at a, at a discount compared to where it was a few months ago. Big time contrarian. That's why he's a winner and other smart investors like Eric Sprott really take advantage of down dips in the market like we see here today. Yes, absolutely. So Eric actually came in. He was our last equity investment. Any equity we raised so was over two years ago and he put in 15 million and bought 10% of the company back then at the price of 215. And then after some positive news releases, of course, and him getting ready for the market to turn, he bought another half a million shares bringing his ownership closer to 11% of our company. That's all our market buying last month. So it's a great endorsement for sure. I understand the cost of producing an ounce of gold are coming down with Step Gold. Tell us why that's happening. Currently, we're producing in phase one is the heat bleach. And so they're, they're coming down because we're actually increasing our volume. So just by increasing the amount of ounces you produce, you'll bring your all-in costs down. Now for phase two, which is a much larger project that's already at 10 and a half years at about 100,000 ounces, we've already signed an agreement and approval with the government to connect to the grid. So the feasibility study that came in at $850 all-in costs included only diesel power. So by connecting to the grid, we're now going to save over $100 an ounce on production. So that's a, that's a big win. Let's say the cost of producing an ounce of gold, as I understand over time, will come down to about $800 an ounce, where gold's trading today at around $1,700 US. That's correct. A nice, healthy margin. That's fantastic. It's very difficult to get that kind of margin, again, anywhere in the world right now. Production costs have not come down, typically. They don't come down when you have a market full of inflation. But I guess we're dealing with a, a different environment in Mongolia, aren't we? Absolutely. The beauty is, you know, we have a low cost and logistical advantage being next to China. You also have a very supportive government who actually, since May of this year, has been paying us a 5% premium to the gold spot price. So that's a nice additional cushion to have. But certainly uh, low labor costs by being local has allowed us to keep costs low as well. Talk to us about the accelerating progress on the phase two expansion. This news release just came out a while ago. What does that mean for the company? One, it shows that we're actually moving forward with phase two. It's not just an idea and concept. You know, While we're in production of phase one, we are starting to build phase two. In fact, the 
crusher, it's a thousand ton per hour crusher, four times our current crushing capacity is being installed as we speak and should be commissioned next month. So that's a major installation that we procured and installed over the last year. And then the power solution we announced shows you that we've optimized and further optimizing the cost structure of that phase two production. And what you'll find over the next few months is some additional updates on phase two, whether it's getting bigger from a mine life perspective. So we've had some additional drilling and some wins there, uh, whether the cost structure will continue to come down. And more importantly, that we have all the financing in place to build it. And so we're taking advantage of leverage course, as a producer today, generating your own cash flow, you have the ability to take on leverage to fund a majority of that expansion. So as I understand it, you're not in the red and you haven't been for a while. You're out of the gate right now. You're in the black. Absolutely. So we started production in March of this year at about 1,500 ounces that month and then ramped up to 3,300. And now we're about just under 4,000 ounces per month in production. That will probably grow in the next couple of months as well. That's all at a $800 to $1,000 margin, depending on what month you use. Obviously, lower production, a bit higher cost. So we're profitable today. And uh, we actually have been for the last couple of quarters. So right out of the gate, when you restart production, you know, our margin is 800 to $900 depending on the gold price. So it's a very healthy, profitable operation today. And we'll continue to do so because there's very minimal investment uh, required from a sustaining CapEx uh, point of view for this, this current operation. So we're just going to continue to be profitable over the next couple of years while building and expanding into our much bigger mine that doubles our production profile and has a much more meaningful mine life of 10 plus years. So you essentially will be or are completely self-funded now and you don't expect to go back to the market for expansion. There's no absolute guarantee that won't occur, but can I assume there's really no dilution to come in the near future for your stock? Yeah, absolutely. So one is board and management own close to 20% of the company. We're very mindful of dilution. And of course, our last raise was done at levels at multiples of today. So we don't need to raise money today at these levels. And we have the ability with debt and the inventory for this phase one mine. Actually, we have 8,000 ounces already ready to be processed. That's over 60 million US of cash. So that inventory plus debt could fund the expansion project. So we can avoid raising equity to get much bigger. So how many shares right now do you have on the float? We have 69.5 million shares outstanding. So it's a very tight structure. In fact, on a fully diluted basis, we'd be at 85 million shares with about 22 million of cash that would come in. So it's a nice to have a, a tight structure because it allows us to have the torque and leverage when the market does recover. Our share price can move very quickly and we don't have a, a lot of shares outstanding. With no immediate plans for dilution. That's correct. Wow. Almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It does. It does. But, you know, we've had more banks pick up coverage on us. Their coverage and targets uh, for over one year are two to four times higher than our current share price. So others who have never paid it, been paid a fee by us because we haven't raised equity in two years are obviously jumping on board too. Now, you've been traveling around the world. What kind of response have you received from potential investors or funds that you've chatted with? Yeah, listen, we're trying to get in front of new eyeballs and jurisdictions uh, to tell the story. And so there's a lot of education uh, required to educate people about Mongolia, why Mongolia, why we are doing so well in Mongolia and our track record. Our team has built and sold a company there for half a billion over a decade ago. Today, we employ over 300 locals. So the reception is great because we're doing things properly by being a local company and hiring locally and training locally, contributing to society. We're showing all the, the great benefits that do come out of mining if it's done properly. So the reception is good. Unfortunately, the market's just not as good uh, as yet, but we've seen it before, right? It's a cyclical and it will continue, but we're in a good position that we don't have to raise money to get to those higher levels of a share price. That's excellent news, Anil. Listen, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for joining me on the program. No problem. Thanks, Alice. Glad to be here.
Ellis has been speaking with Anil Varach, the Executive Vice President and Director of Step Gold, trading in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STPGF and on the Toronto Exchange as STGO. Find out more info on the company by going to their website, stepgold.com. That's S-T-E-P-P-E-Gold.com. Hear this interview again on our website, ellis.gold. Join us next time for more opportunities to discover on the Ellis Martin Report. Meanwhile, subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit ellismartinreport.com. Do it now. See you next time.